This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 25th of May, 2010. A recap of the Australian internet censorship issue. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you? Well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Well, I'm just recovering from a cold, but I'm celebrating at the moment. Why is that? Well, I think we've had a bit of a win over the Australian government, the Australian internet community. I think we have. We've had a bit of a small victory, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that's right. I think that, that's a more accurate way of describing it. It is, it is a small victory, and the issue is not close, but it is certainly something that uh, we were hoping for. And uh, so we're going to be talking about this whole idea of Australia and the, the Rudd Labor government wanting to censor the internet, and we'll talk about the history of it, how it's played out, and what's happening at the moment. So let's go back to the podcast that we did quite a while ago now, Chris. Yeah, it was November 2008 that we uh, first visited this issue. Um, We spoke about the government's plans back then to uh, introduce mandatory internet censorship, a clean feed as it was called. And I can't remember whether it was at the conclusion of that podcast or maybe in one of our um, predictions podcasts where we said that we thought that the government would actually uh, undertake a face-saving manoeuvre because their plans were just uh, were ridiculous and were, were very um, negative for the internet. We thought that they would either completely abandon their plans to censor the internet or at least uh, make a, a face-saving manoeuvre whereby they'd water down the legislation somewhat. And I would say that that's what they've done. They've, they haven't abandoned the idea entirely, and they're trying to present the idea that they're still going to be tough on uh, bad things that are available on the internet, uh, but they've watered down their intentions quite a bit. And I think we'll recap what's happened since we last had that podcast today, uh, and it'll, be, uh, it'll become obvious that it has been watered down quite a lot. Yeah, that's right. And let's do this as a bit of an interview, Chris. I think that you know quite a lot about this. So let me start off by introducing each of these little items in the timeline, and then you can talk about it. And if I want to, I'll add my comments as well. Let's do it. All right. So something that happened about five or six months after that, that was first announced, was that WikiLeaks, which is the organization that publishes leaked government documents from all around the world, published what it said was the blacklist of the the Australian government's internet censorship. That's right, because uh, many people might not know this, but we already have a form of internet censorship in Australia that was introduced by the previous Liberal government. It's not mandatory. It's, a, it's more of an optional thing that has to that ISPs who are um, sort of when a complaint is made, then ISPs have to take some action, and a blacklist of URLs is maintained. And this is a secret list; it, it can't, it's not made public, but someone leaked it to the WikiLeaks uh, website. Now, when, it, when that happened, uh, Senator Conroy came up and said, "No, it's not. That's not it. The number of URLs on the official list is this many, and the, the amount on the." Uh, the list on WikiLeaks is somewhat longer. But then a revised list was published, and then Senator Conroy said, "Um, well, yeah, that's a bit closer to the truth. So (laughs) it looks like uh, the the revised list that was published on WikiLeaks was pretty close to the ACMA blacklist. And just as an aside, I think that one of the biggest issues that a lot of people have about this, and there's some people who believe that the Internet shouldn't be censored at all, but there is a reasonable argument that it 
as a, as a democratic society, there is a case for there to be some censorship. But one of the biggest problems is the idea of the list being secret. Uh, and Conroe's argument has been all along that the problem with making the list public is that as soon as you make it public, you actually tell people how to get access to it. And it's a bit of a circular argument, and I don't think it really holds water because on the one hand, he's saying we're going to, pub- we're going to create a filter which will stop people getting access to this list, uh, to, to sites on this list. And on the other hand, he's saying, well, if we make the list public, they'll be able to get access to it. And it seems to be a contradiction that if you've got a filter that works, then there's nothing wrong with making the list public because people can't get access to them, even if they know what their sites are. But on the other hand, he's saying, no, no, we can't make the list public. That's right. They can't make it public because, of course, uh, it's very easy to circumvent the filter in the first place. And that's a problem. You know, yep. if that if that was a real issue, why not just have the list? Uh, why not just not publish the list? Because if the people who really want to get access to it can get access to it, whether or not there's a filter in place, then there's no point putting the filter in place in the first place. Precisely. Yes. And so in July, um, an Australian senator got a, a worldwide commendation. He did. He did. Good on him. So Senator Stephen Conroy, who is at the forefront of uh, the Rudd government's plans to introduce internet censorship, was voted the Internet Villain of the Year. Uh, he had uh, he was up against people like uh, President Sarkozy of uh, France and the European Parliament, who have similar moves uh, afoot to try and uh, block the internet. But um, the organisation who uh, awarded this, the Internet Industry Awards, uh, thought that uh, the biggest villain of 2009 was Senator Stephen Conroy. Yeah, it makes you proud to be an Australian. <laughs> That's right. Well done. <laughs> so, so part of what the government said was that we're not just going to put this into place in legislation straight away. What we're going to do is run some trials. So we'll get Australia's biggest ISPs involved and we're going to do some trials on it with some of their customers to see what impact this mandatory filter would have, whether it would degrade performance and whether it would actually work. And work means whether it would actually uh, block out sites it was meant to as well as allowing sites that it was not meant to block. Yeah, and that, uh, those trials were a resounding success, Gihan, weren't they? <laughs> well, if you put the political spin on it, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, they were a resounding success because they were doomed to succeed. They, one of uh, Australia's largest ISPs, IINet, refused to participate. So already uh, trying to demonstrate that this could work in reality by enlisting the help of some real large ISPs that uh, had a lot of traffic, um, that was undermined because IINet said, well, no, we're not going to participate in this. We don't think it's the right thing to be doing. Uh, and so that, they opted out. Uh, and as well, so so in fact, the trials were a bit of a sham. They were uh, they were conducted by small ISPs on a very small number of um, users that didn't reflect the reality that uh, would happen if you were trying to impose mandatory censorship on the entirety of Australia's internet population. And I think even those trials, um, as limited as they were, even those didn't prove that the, the, the software was going to work. In fact, they showed that there was a degradation in performance and that they weren't blocking the right things or they were blocking the wrong things. Yeah, so I guess there was uh, a number of um, false positives and false negatives, so sites that you shouldn't be accessing, that you shouldn't be allowed to get to, uh, people were able to get to, and those that shouldn't be blocked were blocked. So obviously the government moved the goalposts in terms of what was successful by allowing there to be a certain percentage of uh, false positives and false negatives and also uh, a tolerable amount of degradation in internet service quality. 
Yes, now, fortunately, governments and politicians have never been uh, ones to let the truth get in the way of a good story, and because they, they wanted to push the censorship through, and this is an opinion, but I think part of the reason is because they wanted to get people like Senator Fielding on side, uh, and he's somebody who has, who's one of the senators that they're required to uh, shift the balance of power in the Senate, and uh, who was a very strong supporter of this mandatory filtering. So they had a political agenda as well. So regardless of what happened with the trials, we knew that they were still going to try and find some way to push through with their with their agenda. Yep, yep. I think you're absolutely right about uh, trying. It's, it's a political game. It's all about uh, political horse trading rather than any real desire to uh, make the internet a better place for Australians. Yeah, and so they decided, okay, we're still going to go ahead with the, with the legislation, regardless of what the trial said, or what they said was because of what the trial said. That's right. So come December, they uh, announced uh, their, their actual legislation. They put out a press release, uh, just as everyone was uh, sort of distracted with uh, Christmas and after Parliament had shut down for the year, uh, out they came with an announcement that gave some clarity to what their actual legislation would be. In my opinion, what, uh, what they've done is they've watered it down considerably. So originally they were going to have two feeds. They were going to have the mandatory, uh, the mandatory censorship feed and also an optional clean feed that uh, would be even more extensive that would uh, dynamically filter uh, stuff that you didn't want your children to see. Um, but that has been dropped from their plans. It's now been watered down to the extent that they'll give grants to ISPs if they want to try and provide um, a, that kind of opt-in clean feed. Uh, they are having, uh, they're still having this mandatory internet censorship, but it's now going to take the form of a blacklist, and it's the material that it will target is that which is refused classification. So in Australia, we have this notion of refused classification material, and that's uh, applied to things like books and television programs and movies that the censorship board examines. And the government's argument that is, well, we're already censoring uh, those mediums, and so there's no reason why uh, the Internet should be a special case. Similar censorship and should be applied to the Internet, and so refused classification material should not be accessible on the Internet. So they've clarified exactly what it is that they're going to target with the mandatory filter, because prior to that it wasn't clear what they were going to go after. They, didn't, they hadn't made it clear whether it was going to be material that... Uh, 18-year-olds and over uh, um, that was sort of R-classified, as we call it, or what? There was no obvious... um, They hadn't clarified that as yet. And I think, again, like reasonable people could argue that, yeah, that makes sense, that if you're going to restrict... RC material, refused classification material uh, in terms of books and movies, why not extend that to the internet as well? And that is reasonable, except for the fact that firstly it's secret and secondly it doesn't work. And those two things are the the problems that most reasonable uh, informed people have with the proposed legislation. Yeah, and another aspect of it is that um, books and films are essentially a one-way medium. You consume them, whereas websites are, are, are things that you can interact with. So you can go to a website and you can upload comments or upload material or you can go to web forums and you can discuss issues. Uh, If those kinds of websites are censored, then it's also uh, an expression issue. People are unable to, say, participate in political debates about the kinds of material that are refused classification. 
Yep, you, yep, you're right. And up, up until now, when we when we say now, we're talking about the end of last year, so the end of 2009, the start of 2010. The debate, the the really knowledgeable people in the debate, it was all happening at the level of internet users who knew what was going on, like we, and ISPs who were caught in the middle and they were the ones expected to enforce it. And a lot of the public debate didn't really involve anybody else except for politicians talking about this sort of stuff. And then towards the end of last year and early this year, Google, which is of course an internet brand, but an internet brand that ordinary people know, weighed into the debate. Yeah, that's right. So normally they're fairly quiet in this regard, although you'll see that uh, once the Chinese, uh, the firewall of China um, became an issue. They were quite outspoken on that as well. But yes, uh, shortly after the government uh, clarified what it was that they were intending to do with their legislation, then on the uh, Google AU blog, uh, they put forward their views on the mandatory ISP filtering. And they pretty much uh, made the, raised the points that you just mentioned, Gihan, about the fact that we have this secret blacklist and that refused classification material is kind of, is, is broader than just uh, things like child pornography, because so often the debate was framed in the with the idea of uh, won't someone think of the children? We need to protect children, but refused classification material goes beyond um, material that would be. Uh, child abuse material or pornography. It also includes uh, material that instructs on crime or is politically controversial, such as euthanasia. And so Google in particular said that they were uncomfortable with that kind of filtering material that extended beyond things like child pornography. And Google in general has had a fairly neutral approach to what it, what it publishes. And there have been controversies in the past where Things appear on the top of Google search results, which are controversial. So things like people denying the Holocaust uh, when you type in certain words, um, and this comes at the top of the search results. And Google generally has refused to get involved in the whole censorship filtering issue and just said, look, we're just providing a search engine, we're providing a tool, and we're not going to weigh in on these issues. As, as a general rule, that's not always true, but in general, Google has taken this neutral approach, and so it's completely consistent with that where they're saying, no, we're not going to do something just because a particular national government asks us to do that. And uh, it doesn't matter whether it's one of those governments that we traditionally think of as totalitarianism, but it's any government, we're not going to kowtow to them. Yeah, and uh, come February, uh, Google made another announcement that it appeared that uh, Senator Conroy uh, had approached Google and asked them to apply filtering to YouTube video clips. So material that was refused classification in Australia, uh, uh, Conroy had approached Google and said, will you filter uh, out material that meets refused classification um, standards in Australia? Uh, and again, Google had said, no, we already have in place a uh, policy that removes certain types of material, but they're uncomfortable with uh, the refused classification benchmark as it was just too broad. It meant that certain material that was politically sensitive would be that they would have to filter that and they weren't going to do that. They already had their own policies and they would um, apply them and they weren't going to make a special case for countries like Australia, for any country at all, in fact. They, they operate in the United States and they abide by the local jurisdiction, uh, but they weren't going to make special cases for Australia or any other country. 
That's right, and this is not a case of Google digging its heels in unreasonably. Google has been very active and proactive with its takedown policy. So if somebody puts a video up on, on YouTube, which uh, they don't have permission to because they're not the copyright holder, and um, if the copyright holder contacts YouTube, then YouTube is very quick in taking the, taking the material down. So it's not that they don't want to take down things at all. It's just a case of them saying, well, we're not going to... Um, do things on behalf of, of some other foreign government. Yeah, and this was all taking place, Gihan, at the time of the Great Firewall of China debate. So that is a, a, a special case in so much as Google operates certain, operated a search engine within China. So the Chinese firewall prevented access to YouTube and Google.com, so their search engines and their other properties outside of China were blocked for Chinese citizens. So in order to provide services within China, Google had set up google.cn so that Chinese citizens would have access to a Chinese language search engine within China. But uh, as we know, Google, we've had another podcast on this uh, previously, Google uh, objected to some uh, some hacking um, incidents uh, by deciding to pull out of China, so close their operations and their search engine within China. Um, but in that case, when they were operating within China, they had to operate according to the Chinese government's uh, laws, and so they were filtering search results within China on their Chinese search engine. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And that that issue seemed to have resolved itself, in, and we talked about that in a previous podcast. And around about this time, which was um, March this year, which is only a couple of months ago, I was getting... A uh, little bit nervous about what the Australian government was doing because it seemed like it was going to be full steam ahead, despite the fact that the technical trials weren't working, despite the fact that they were getting opposition from Google, uh, despite the fact that there was a little bit that the public was learning a little bit more about what this legislation would actually mean. However, they still seemed hell bent on going ahead with the legislation. Uh, possibly until the US government raised concerns about it. That's right. I remember at the time of the whole Great Firewall of China, the US State Department, Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, had come out and given, uh, made a very strong sounding but ultimately clueless speech about uh, what was going on in China and coming out and backing Google's actions. And I think I made a flippant remark in our podcast about that, um, that particular statement of the Secretary of State that, uh, well, you know, she's she's uh, going hard at China, but I don't see her making similar comments with regard to Australia's internet censorship plans. Well, it turns out that um, that was a bit premature because, as you say, towards the end of March, the State Department had raised its concerns over Australia's plans for mandatory internet censorship on the same grounds uh, that it criticised the Chinese government, which was fair enough, that was consistent. Um, Interestingly, Senator Conroy said, well, you know, uh, I've not had any approach from the, uh, the U.S. State Department, although he kind of hedged his bets a bit there by saying, well, maybe some of the department's officials have been in contact with them, but I certainly haven't heard anything from them. Uh, but subsequent to that, um, uh, the ABC ran a Four Corners um, special devoted to this topic, and in talking with Senator Conroy, uh, he said towards the end of that about uh, approaches from the U.S. State Department that, well, this is something on which we have to agree to disagree. So it seems to me by the time that he was interviewed by Four Corners and the ABC that indeed uh, he had had direct contact with the U.S. State Department over Australia's plans for Internet censorship. 
And I agree, Chris. I, I heard that statement as well. We agree to disagree, which, which has a very strong implication that, yep, they've, they've had conversations and they've decided that they're not going to, they're not going to follow the U.S. Uh, instructions or the request, which you put as a request. Although, very soon after, they, we suddenly had a complete turnaround. That's right, because it was all, as you say, it was full steam ahead. Uh, the uh, the legislation was announced at the end of last year, um, and the, there were clear plans to introduce it this year, but now it seems that that's been put on the back burner. Um, it hasn't been done away with entirely, uh, which is what we would all like, which is what most people would like to see, but with an election looming this year and the Rudd government uh, down in the polls and this legislation growing in unpopularity, Popularity, uh, it's clearly become too hot and too um, too much of a liability for them to introduce into Parliament this year. I think they've only got one more parliamentary session in August, and if it's not introduced then, and it's unlikely to be introduced then because of the controversy, I think, uh, then it's unlikely to be introduced prior to the election. I think we'll have the election before that, and I don't think the Rudd, gov- I think the Rudd government wants to clear the decks of any uh, contentious issues before going into election mode. And, and that's right, and if you look at it from their point of view, and if you believe what you and I believe, which is that the idea, part of the idea of introducing this legislation was to appease or get on side Senator Fielding, they don't need to do that before the election. Uh, it doesn't matter whether they introduce it or not, because they can reintroduce it later, uh, and uh, depending on the balance of power in the Senate and whether they need to or not will depend on what happens with the election. So you're right, there's no downside for them clearing the decks, as you put it, and and delaying the legislation. And if maybe this is their watered-down version that we talked about, Chris, in, in our January podcast when we were making predictions, as you said, you made a prediction that we'd probably end up with some sort of watered or sort of a face-saving uh, back down from their original position. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're just, instead of saying, we've changed our minds, you guys were right all the time, they're just saying, okay, look, we're going to delay till after the election, and now that there's no date attached to it, they can perhaps delay it indefinitely. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think it's worth uh, pointing out that you said at the start of the debate it was mainly people with uh, some technical understanding of these issues and who were f- and uh, free speech advocates and politicians who were engaged in the debate. But as time's gone by, it's be- the, the whole internet censorship issue has gained uh, a broader um, audience and various studies have shown that while there's broad support for the idea of um, censoring the internet uh, with regard to things like child pornography and uh, and things that are clearly um, dangerous and offensive, once uh, people are informed of what the government's actual plans are, then they become far more uncomfortable with the idea of uh, the government's plans for censorship. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, if you start off, uh, if you run a survey that says, do you support the government including ways to prevent children getting access to child pornography on the internet or even to prevent the spread of child pornography on the internet in Australia, clearly the answer is going to be yes. And in fact, I remember in the early days, every time Conroy was asked something and every time somebody questioned the legislation, his first response would be, oh, so you're in favour of child pornography, are you? And, of course, that's an easy way to shut down a debate and to make an unsubstantiated attack on anybody who criticizes you. But, of course, if you then turn the question around and and you ask this question about the same legislation differently, if you say, for example, 
are you in favour of the Australian government having a secret list of websites that they don't allow Australians to visit and see and know about, then of course the answer is going to be quite different. And it's a question about the same legislation, but just asked differently. And I think now more and more people are recognising that latter approach to this legislation rather than the whole idea that it's just going to shut down child pornography. Yes, and so I think with that um, growing discontent amongst uh, the population with regard to the censorship, I think ultimately that uh, will be the only way that we ensure that we don't have it is if more people understand exactly what it is that the government is planning to do, that it's not about protecting us from child pornography, that it's a bit of a political horse trading um, affair. And that we've got the thin end of the wedge, a secret list of websites that we can't um, we can't visit and that future governments may expand without our knowledge to cover websites about all kinds of things, then, um, then if people become agitated and uncomfortable with that, then that's the only way that I think it'll, uh, that it'll ever go away. Exactly. And I think we should remind people that what we're not, we're not suggesting an all-or-nothing approach. There already is legislation in place which requires ISPs to provide free of charge to any Internet user, and typically parents, a filtering software. So they have to provide it. This was legislation introduced by the Howard government, the previous government. So that is available. So concerned parents actually have the ability to protect what their kids get access to on the Internet. Now it still has flaws, and the best solution to that is education. And also that's, that still doesn't... Pr- stop the problem of child pornography coming into Australia. All it does is allows parents to restrict what their kids can get access to. But at the moment, there is no technical solution to that broader issue. And uh, I know that I heard Conroy say on that Four Corners report, he said, look, just because it's a difficult thing doesn't mean that we should, just because it's easy to circumvent doesn't mean that we shouldn't legislate against it. And he's quite right. However, the problem is that the, the method that he's proposing uh, imposes on, uh, on our other civil liberties and affects every other Internet user as well. So it's not just a case of, impose, uh, of legislating on something that you might be able to catch some offenders. It actually affects everybody as well. So there is no technical solution. So until there is, we have to be full about putting in place legislative solutions that could be worse than what they're trying to solve. Yeah, and I think the opt-in solution is is a much better face-saving uh, approach to it. And it's not just face-saving. They could go for not mandatory but rather opt-in censorship where it's either a clean feed from your ISP or a blacklist that you opt in to. Uh, that's uh, far more palatable, I think, for most people and, and for me as well. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I think the argument against that would only be that that's fine for the people who want to opt in, but for the people who want to, say, import restricted material, they're obviously not going to opt into that list. So that, that's the reason you need it to be mandatory. However, that's not, that doesn't work because those people at the moment can easily circumvent it as Conroy himself has admitted. Yeah. So, Gihan. So that brings us up to date. And uh, there's more there's more to come, obviously, with it having been put on the back burner. Hopefully it will be modified in some way or done away with entirely. And uh, either way, we'll keep our listeners informed. We will. We will. So next time, Chris, uh, we already have decided the topic we're going to talk about next time because this is to do not with censorship but to do with privacy and it's to do with Facebook. Facebook has had a lot of bad press recently about changes to its privacy settings and that uh, next week, the 31st of May, is Quit Privacy Day. 
and a number of people are quitting Facebook at the moment. And so in our next podcast, which will be after that, we'll talk about some of the issues surrounding Facebook privacy and what you can do about it to protect your privacy on Facebook. Is it Quit Privacy Day or is it Quit Facebook Day? Sorry. <laughs> they say quit privacy. Well, that's what Facebook wants you to do. <laughs> that's right. It, it's definitely quit Facebook day. That's okay. right. That's right. And, and lots of people are quitting Facebook. And I noticed that I saw a report that said that quit Facebook has become a very popular term on, on Google. So people are finding out how to do that. Right. <laughs> so speak to you in a couple of weeks' time, Gihan. Will do, Chris. Thanks a lot and bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes, or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.